back everyone to the third episode of Estero Podcast. I'm your host Emre Shentürk and today I'm going to talk about a very important topic, namely the Uyghur genocide that is happening for quite some time in, in China. But before we get into it, uh, I would like to wish all the Chris, uh, Christian listeners out there a great Easter holiday. I hope that you're enjoying the time with your family and loved ones, although a lot of countries are currently quite restricted in terms of... Um, number of people who can meet but anyways i wish you're still enjoying it that you're having a great uh, that you're having a great time and yeah so let's get right into it the today's topic as i said is going to be about the uyghur genocide it's a very uh, saddening topic it's it's horrible what is going on there for years now in china but uh, we need to talk about it and i think there is some value to it if we are going to approach it the acido way because i mean you can You can research what is happening there on the internet. There are lots of sources that are telling you um, horrific stories. I'm not going to go into much detail uh, here. Obviously, I'm going to sketch the situation there first, uh, tell you a little bit about the history, how it evolved. But um, I'm mainly going to focus on two aspects um, because I think these are not talked about too much and there are reasons for that. But as an independent uh, media project if we want to call a Cedo podcast and a Cedo magazine uh, if we want to label it as that i will provide you with some insights to two topics or two related questions that arise when we talk about the Uyghur genocide which are first of all what why is nothing happening against it you know it's it's uh, horrible what is going on there but nothing is actually happening the responses that have been um, sent china's way are not very meaningful, are not very helpful. And second of all, the second question that is related with what can be done. So uh, this is also very, very important to to discuss. Because when you open up, um, and this is not another critique, you know, but if you if you open up mainstream media uh, outlets and uh, resort to them for for information, they will mostly summarize what is going on in china uh, in relation to the uyghurs but they will yeah they will rarely give you some some policy advice or something like that what can be done which is understandable because um, it is a very sensitive topic politically speaking but also from a societal perspective um, it requires some kind of answer so this is what i'm going to do today so Starting off, uh, I think for those of you who don't know, uh, I would uh, advise you to to go into the uh, detailed history of the Uyghurs, uh, just to quickly sketch it. Uh, this is a Turkic minority in the north western part of China, which is called, like the province is called Xinjiang, I think. Uh, and excuse me if I mispronounce it, but it's also most commonly known as East Turkestan and has been also a republic uh, previously so it was not always chinese territory in fact it was most of the time and the uyghurs have been around thousands of years is probably one of the oldest civilizations or ethnic groups that have been on this planet um, probably dating back i mean according to their accounts it's like somewhat eight thousand years I think that might be a bit far-fetched, but um, we can definitely think about or talk about here with about like two to three thousand years that the, uh, this ethnic group has been existent. Um, is an, they are an integral part of Turkic history, meaning that uh, when um, the Turkic nomad groups or civilizations moved west from Mongolia, uh, the Uyghurs have been settling down in the province that is today called Xinjiang and uh, have been there ever since so they are kind of deeply rooted or connected to the to the territory there well and naturally when you are so deeply connected and even if you're not that connected to to um, some territory or geography um, everyone wants to be at home nobody wants to leave uh, their homes and uh, be somewhere else because I mean this is this is where you belong to practically 
and the culture and the, the ethnic group of the Uyghurs have been there for for a very long time there have been um, a couple of uh, conflicts and wars with different eth ethnic groups uh, which have been there in the territory as well but lately uh, in the modern modern history um, it has been uh, there have been uh, many conflicts with the chinese who claimed kind of um, the yeah the, who claimed the the territory for themselves obviously they had the political and military power to also gain this territory and there are also accounts from chinese scholars who say uh, that the territory actually belonged to the chinese because of the um, different dynasties that have been ruling the territory before so uh, there's kind of a debate i'm not going to i'm, I'm not going to make an assessment on who uh, is going yeah who is the rightful ethnic group that belongs there yeah so this is not up to me to decide um also me being turkish uh, would not be a fair assessment uh, since they would be biased uh, towards the uyghurs um and i think this should not be the central question here but i'm just trying to tell you this because uh, i want you to understand there, ha there has been um, quite some history between the uyghurs and the chinese which means that there is kind of a historic tension already over that territory and lately um, over the last 20 15 20 years uh, the chinese state has been increasing surveillance in this in this region right so you have to think about it that way because the province is so dominated by the uyghurs and other turkic and muslim minorities that live there there is a legitimate fear of the Chinese that their territory, practically, which they have sovereign uh, rights uh, to, to rule over, practically, they fear that there might be some separatism. And uh, obviously, when we look back in history, there have been uh, clashes uh, with the Uyghur people. So what they thought is, okay, well, we need to increase the control over that province because in the long run, and I mean, I'm talking about decades uh, that, might, uh, that it might take for, for the Uyghurs or in general ethnic groups to kind of organize themselves and um, really successfully push for separatism there, um, it might harm the Chinese cause. So they figured, all right, we need to do something but um, dialogue there is often very difficult um, i once published an article about ethnic conflict in general uh, when the uh, the military conflict be between azerbaijan and uh, armenia uh, was at its peak so there's there was also this the the same tension and the same problem with um, the ethnic conflict there there are two groups that claim ownership over a certain territory and say and, and and they say well we have been here forever this is our territory it's historically ours it's uh where we uh, live and um what we identify ourselves with and the same is happening there in uh, east turkestan as well so the chinese said all oh, right we have this military power right and uh we can utilize our political power and we can utilize it to gradually increase our control and um, china is known for doing that um, we have seen this in tibet um, where there have been resettling campaigns of the chinese you probably remember um, people my age uh, or older remember that back in the days in tibet uh, the monks were setting themselves on fire it was an incredibly sad thing uh, to see and uh, we saw it, saw this on live television back then they were setting themselves on fire uh, committing suicide in order to draw the, the global attention to the problems that have been um, experiencing in tibet and the chinese were resettling chinese people to the region in order to phase out the, the tibetans and it was it was very it, it was very very dis disgusting and uh, disturbing as well um, but we also have the same tensions with taiwan the taiwanese say we are uh, different from chinese we want to be autonomous um, then we have a quite different story but it kind of links to that it's the dispute of the south china sea so china is uh, building artificial islands in the um, 
uh, in their southern sea, um, which is obviously uh, not very welcomed by the neighboring states because this this is an infringement of international waters and China claims them for themselves. They say, okay, well, here are islands now, right? And uh, because of those islands, uh, this is Chinese territory and then they have their coastal lines and everything like that so they can grasp uh, a better control of that area as well. And a different tactic was used um, in East Turkestan where China uh, gradually increased surveillance and it came to that point that they even installed security cameras in people's homes in order to monitor the Uyghurs. In the official statements, the Chinese claim um, that they need to do this in order to um, kind of control extremism. So, for example, they track if somebody quits smoking or uh, drinking in order to find out whether they become radicalized uh, and re religiously. So if they become overly re uh, religious and they see it as a security threat, uh, which is which is bullshit. Uh, we have to be honest here. This is bullshit. I mean, um, I mean, w when we look at the history, you know, there, China never had a problem with religiously motivated terrorism, and um, I'm even questioning whether re religion in itself can be a driver for terrorism uh, in itself. But this is a whole other discussion. I will maybe make an episode about it as well. But um, China never had a problem with it. And um, it is actually not a real concern, in my opinion. And when we look at the history with the Uyghurs and the Chinese, it's clear that they just want to control and uh, they want to control the, the, the province and gain more power in the province. So this is what they did. Actually, Alibaba, the big uh, Amazon competitor from China, developed a face, facial recognition software um, in order for the Chinese government to track, like uh, publicly track who's Uyghur and who's not, right? So you have to think about it like this. So we all know the surveillance cameras in public spaces and the Chinese government is uh, utilizing them in order to track uh, the Uyghur people. So they can recognize from, because of the software, they can recognize who's Uyghur and who's Chinese and whatnot. I mean, think about it how racist this is actually and um, next to being racist i mean this is a total infringement of human rights i mean you, you're being tracked on the streets where you live where you go to work walk around with your family or friends or whatever and you're being tracked uh, by the government and they say yep that's it that's that's the Uyghur guy um, we need to keep an eye on him and this is happening in china for quite some time um, public harassment, exclusion, and whatnot. And next to that, I think in 2014, it first uh, surfaced that um, these people uh, that have been tracked by the Chinese government and, and many more have been deported to concentration camps subject to forced labor. The women are for, uh, subject to forced sterilization. And imagine that, how disgusting that is. And that really shows what this whole campaign is all about. And this is extinguishing the Uyghur ethnic, uh, the, the Uyghur, Uyghur ethnicity, practically. Um, because why else would you sterilize people? And then they are forced to uh, sing Chinese songs, uh, subject to mental torture. Um, they need to write Chinese uh, or uh, learn Chinese poems by heart, only allowed to talk Chinese. So they're very... Um, much pretty much uh, manipulated next to the physical torture that they are also experiencing there and today we stand about one over one million people i think even one one and a half million people are in those concentration camps uh, subject to such treatment officially labeled by the chinese uh, as re-education re camps um, which should also just make it clear i think we all understand that they just want to wipe out the group like the ethnic uh, the ethnicity of the uyghurs and um, this is extremely sad when we think back in history this has uh, happened a couple of times and uh, we always said as a society we don't want this to happen again but the reality is 
that it is happening and uh, unfortunately we have to also acknowledge that this will also happen in the future as well so why is nothing happening against it so when we we can see similarities um, with Germany in uh, the 1930s and 40s where Jews uh, were uh, persecuted and uh, detained in concentration camps also subject to forced labor and a um, whole lot of horrific things that we still know from that from these times why why didn't we learn from it practically and i mean this is a very naive statement but we can really ask this question here because i mean it's obvious what is happening in china there everyone is acknowledging it for example even the U european union and the united states uh, they have uh, sanctioned some key officials that are involved in this genocide um but that's about it i mean some companies h&m and nike they issued statements so their products were boycotted in uh, china but that's really about it we don't see any authoritative people uh, or acts by people who are in the position to actually go to china and say guys this, this is not uh you cannot do this anymore you know like these times are over i mean and when i say uh when I'm talking about these people, I mean presidents, prime ministers, and um, yeah, like the general secretaries of big organizations like the UN and stuff, um, but nothing actually is happening there. And the reason for that is it's very simple. China is just too, it's just too powerful. The Chinese are so powerful, actually, that everybody is currently just hoping that they would stop killing those people torturing them and they we are actually as a global community hoping that the chinese would stop the genocide and obviously they're not going to do it you know i mean why should they do it they've been um, persecuting uyghur people over the last two or three decades even before that and they have a history of um, grievances and uh, kind of miscommunication and conflicts among them so the Chinese are not going to stop and the reason for that is uh, clear they want to um, increase their control and power over the territory all right and the reason why nobody is saying something against the Chinese is they are too powerful yes the Chinese are powerful on the military side but I mean the days are over that we have that, that we are having outright uh, military confrontations uh, between states as we as we know from the history books i mean these times are pretty much over for now uh, it might change in the in the future but uh, for the time being it is very unlikely that a country is going to invade china in order to free the uyghurs or something like that so the china <coughs> uh, china's power actually roots in um, its economy providing most of the world with uh, a lot of goods the chinese have the ability to just say okay guys that's it you're not getting any goods from us obviously it would also harm it was all it would also harm kind of the chinese economy but um you have to think about it like this because the demand is already there right the Chinese have the power to say, okay, guys, if we are just going to stop the exports to you or sanction you or whatnot, this is going to put a lot of pressure uh, on the Western world. And because the Western world is economically so advanced and has such a great demand, which means they are practically dependent on the Chinese, the governments are bound to kind of uh, go do it china's way right because on the other side they would face problems with their own citizens so and here's this is a kind of a philosophical part so when we have a rich population and in comparison to the rest of the world europe and the united states and canada these are rich countries right the populations are rich in comparison to other parts of the world let's say the middle east latin america or some parts of Asia, for example. And when there is such a high uh, standard of living, the people are have a very um, large comfort zone. So Westerners are kind of used to 
consume certain types of goods is part or that they are part of their lifestyles uh, they want to keep it up they need these kind of things for self-fulfillment and uh, in order to be happy because these ideas kind of develop I mean if you go to Syria and um, ask them about their like some children or young adults or I mean any, basically uh, anyone in Syria who's who has been experiencing the war over the last 10 years and ask them what their hobby is they don't know what a hobby is because they don't they, they need to survive they don't have any hobbies right but when you ask somebody in Norway or um, in the Netherlands in the United States what's your hobby oh I, lo I love painting I love going to the gym I love I don't know filming or photography or whatnot you know it's my life I really enjoy it I can't live without it so the people are used to their lifestyles they need it for self-fulfillment as I said before and once China stop, stops sending uh, all the goods uh, out to the west and I mean I'm not only talking about lifestyle goods and luxury goods but also very simple products like for example telephone cases or even iPhones uh, telephones in general shelves fitness equipment instruments lamps whatnot I mean you can think about whole lot of different things and once the Chinese stop sending these goods out people would say all right um, guys we need some stuff that we cannot buy currently what is going on there and they put pressure on their governments because once you have a very uh, fixed comfort zone and once you're used to a certain lifestyle people rarely want to go back and kind of um, forego the chance to consume these goods even if it's for a good cause uh, namely putting pressure on China in order for them to stop uh, the Uyghur genocide this is a big 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 factor and I mean uh, China is very good at putting pressure on Western states in order to uh, get their way and they are very well aware of their situation within the world economy and pretty much everything depends on the Chinese goods in order for the economy to co continue. Otherwise, you would need to redistribute the production to the West or to other regions in the world, um, which is highly expensive and takes a lot of time right now. So this is not going to happen. So once states would go out and say, yeah, Please, China, stop the Uyghur genocide. They would say, guys, we're not stopping it. What can you do about it? And the states say, okay, well, we might sanction you for it. They say, okay, go ahead, sanction you. I will sanction you as well by not sending certain types of goods uh, to your country. And then they say, oh, well, we can live with it. And then China says, okay, you can, you may, uh, might be able to live with that. But all, are you also able to live with this? And then puts on... Uh, another list of sanctions against a certain country that is issuing statements against China. So they are really in control of the whole situation there because they know that they can influence politics by just saying, okay, guys, economically, we are on top of everything. In addition to that, and this is an equally important aspect, financially, China is also a very important player. A lot of Western companies and business people they are actually relocating to Hong Kong, which is also under the control of China, and use it as a financial money laundering hub. And because they're, they, they're doing it basically for tax reasons, and the Chinese are profiting from that because they still get a little amount of taxes from very rich people, which is a very important uh, income source of income for Hong Kong and accordingly for China. But what is more important is that Hong Kong basically is uh, the entry point of foreign money into China because they have a fixed exchange rate and there cannot be direct entry of any foreign currency um, into the Chinese economy except over Hong Kong, right? And because Hong Kong is so important and is uh, in the hands of the Chinese, they can also issue a wide range of sanctions on 
very rich business people uh, and companies in Hong Kong. And because they can do this, um, the Western countries, I'm always saying Western, but we can also talk about any other country, but usually because the Western countries are the most powerful and have the most authoritative power to go against the Chinese and say, well, guys, stop it. Um, they fear that uh, also on the financial side, the Chinese can sanction their business people, their freeze accounts, or maybe expose them to some kind of tax evasion uh, procedures that might also cause negative publicity in the respective home country. So it's a very complicated situation and uh, there's little that you can do against the Chinese uh, in that regard. So to summarize, the first part of um, what I've um, already said is um, there has been an Uyghur genocide or genocide on the Uyghur people by the Chinese because historically the Uyghurs claim that the province of East Turkestan or the Chinese name Xinjiang belongs to the Uyghurs but the Chinese um, having a jurisdiction over the province and this province being part of the um, Republic of China, People's Republic of China there has been a clash um, about who is going to control the, the territory. The Uyghurs want to establish more, a more autonomous uh, province. The Chinese want to gain full control and exclusive control over that province uh, without any compromises, which is also important for their political system to function, by the way. And because of that, the Chinese have been... Um, kind of uh, surveilling uh, the province for quite some time, but are also deta uh, detaining Uyghur civilians in concentration camps, torturing them and also manipulating them um, in an attempt to wipe out the whole ethnicity. And the reason why nobody is saying something against it is because the Chinese are economically so powerful that they can basically put pressure on uh, Western countries by not exporting any goods and in fact, um, yeah, aiming or hitting the standard of living of the Western populations or the populations uh, of the countries that are powerful, they can actually target them and say, okay, well, then we are not exporting any uh, technology, technology products or uh, luxury goods or whatnot. So these people, um, the, the standard of living drops there and these people get dissatisfied with the government. Um, on the other side, they also have the financial power to say, okay, well, we can sanction your business people in Hong Kong or, on, uh, or elsewhere in the Chinese economy. And um, by doing so, they can also put a decent amount of pressure on the business world, but also through that on politics. So it's a very difficult situation, um, to be honest. And um, you have to think about it in this in this way let's take the most powerful country in the world the united states what is the cost benefit the result of the cost benefit analysis for the united states to put heavy pressure on china to stop the genocide on the one side they have um, when we think about the costs what it would cost them is um that they might be subject to economic sanctions. And um, let's just think about China not allowing Tesla or Apple to produce in China anymore or any other conglomerate in the United States that is producing everyday goods like, for example, Nike or um, other brands that, that are located in China or their production is located in China. Imagine what would happen in the United States. People would be very dissatisfied. I mean, these large companies would take a huge hit um, and their lobbyists would directly go to the uh, to the politicians and say, guys, look, our shares fell somewhat 20-30% and we are fearing that the company might be uh, facing a crisis. And these are very important companies in the United States. So this is going to put a lot of pressure on the politicians individually, but also from the collective uh, point of view, the population is going to be very dissatisfied that they might not be able to consume those products anymore or they are becoming overly expensive. 
So this is the cost that they that the United States might incur. The benefit would be that they would do something good. They would stop a genocide, which obviously normatively seen is worth more than everything else combined. You know, I mean, you have the material losses on the one hand, one hand, and then you have the Im immaterial gains of um, rescuing an ethnicity practically on the other hand and i mean you cannot even compare it the equation is clear i mean you have to go for it and rescue those people but the reality is unfortunately not that way and because the united states are not in any kind related to the uyghur people there's little that attaches them to them right uh, we can draw a comparison to the rwandan genocide back in i think 94 when um, over 800,000 uh, people were murdered in Rwanda um, during this genocide. The reason why the United States never intervened, and this is very, very interesting, the United States never intervened in this conflict, although they could have uh, intervened um, under, under Bill Clinton, and he was actually, he should have done it, you know, because the global community was pressuring him to do it. But he didn't do it because a couple of months before the genocide started, there was this incident, uh, Black Hawk Down, where eight American soldiers, um, after the helico uh, uh, helicopter was shut down and they uh, dragged eight uh, American soldiers out and kind of slaughtered them. And in the United States, it was a big thing. And people were going crazy. How can you send our... Uh, P it was a Mogadishu in Somali. In Somalia um, and uh, the Americans were saying oh, how can you send our people there and uh, kind of risk the lives of our soldiers and stuff obviously it's a, it's a very bad situation I mean it's a, it's not a good thing that, that these eight people were murdered but because this happened I think a couple of months or a year earlier Bill Clinton feared that when he intervened in the Rwandan genocide that more soldiers would die and that he would also have to face more bad publicity. And I think there it is not a coincidence. I think it's it's um it's a symbolic thing that eight people uh, died and because they died it helped the president back to rescue eight hundred thousand people. Right? And I always draw the comparison between or saying which might also be very symbolic and metaphorical and very simplistic, but practically it means that eight Americans are worth 800,000 Rwandans. So one American equals 100,000 Rwandans. And if you think about it that way, then we understand that these little issues that a country is facing domestically and that has backlashes on politics affect how such powerful countries behave uh, on the international stage so if those eight people never died we maybe would have never faced the rwandan genocide in that uh, at that large scale um, and the same thing is going for the uyghurs right now obviously there has not um, hasn't been any incidents with uh, incident with American soldiers in China but what I'm saying is they are not very attached to the whole situation and to the ethnicity um, as such so there is no real intrinsic motivation to go there and risk um, yeah economic and political and maybe even military uh, confrontation with China what would would what would be in their eyes just some ethnicity to be very simplistic and without actually saying that Americans would think so. I just took them as an example. But this could also go for the British, um, for the German, I don't know, or Egyptian, Brazilian, it doesn't matter, or the Russian. It does not really matter because they are not very attached to the ethnic the Uyghur ethnicity. Um, there's no real benefit from the cost-benefit analysis to send people there and risk a confrontation on all three levels. 
So what to do? Shall we just leave the Uyghurs there dying in the hands of the Chinese? No, obviously not. I'm going to bring an account or a, a policy direction that I would favor, uh, which I would really love to uh, see some countries to take. I'm pretty sure that they will not do it, unfortunately. And I think it's uh, very unrealistic uh, too to assume that they would take action. But nevertheless, I'm just going to tell you about what I think would be most effective. So because the Uyghurs are a Turkic ethnic group and predominantly Muslim, they are, and I, I told you earlier that they are um, in an integral part of Turkic history, the Turkic countries of Central Asia should take, should, should take care of the whole situation. And I also wrote this in one of the articles, How to Stop a Genocide. Um, it's on Acido magazine. Um, I would highly recommend you to read it as well as a complement, uh, complimentary read uh, to what I've been uh, telling you today. And what I'm basically pointing at is the following. So we have Uzbekistan, Mongolia, Turkmenistan, Tajikistan, Kyrgyzstan, Azerbaijan, Kazakhstan, Turkey, and Pakistan as the main Turkic countries that are in the world, right? These are big countries, also economically, as well as um, from a military perspective. Um, Population-wise, they are big. Um, most of them are bordering together. And they have a very, because they have all the common history and a common um, ethnic origin, there's something that connects these countries to one another. Unfortunately, on the political stage, these countries are not that connected uh, as we would think. For example, we have the European Union, uh, the, the European countries are very uh, close to one another, also from an administrative and political point of view, but the Turkey countries do not have um, such a structure. They have the Turkic Council, which is a loosely organized um, stage for some of the Turkic countries to come and get come together and discuss some common policy things. But it's not like the integration of this council has um, been very yeah, progressive over the last decades. And this is in part also mainly caused by the rather religious orientation of those countries' leaderships rather than ethnic orientation. So if the countries would have had more ethnic awareness about their origins, they might have been able to kind of come closer together. But this Uyghur thing might be just the case um, to do this because I think these countries need to come together and um, quickly need to fast forward the integration process of the Turkic Council and include all of the Turkic uh, countries within that uh, organization. So basically you can think about uh, something like uh, the European Union um, on a very uh, smaller scale and they need to accelerate the process of becoming a closer political union, all of the countries that I've enlisted before. So if they are able to do that and kind of streamline the communication that they've been doing um, among themselves and issue a more authoritative or form a more authoritative body um, within that Turkic Council, they might be able to create enough pressure on the Chinese to say, okay, well, we're gradually going to phase out the, the genocide uh, thing. And um, I think the political pressure that is coming from such a block might be enough to do it because, I mean, China cannot fight all of them, right? And in order to do that, the integration process in the first place um, needs to be that all countries are included in the Turkic Council, that they designate uh, a common central and um, as an institution also build a structure where they have uh, a chairman or um, a secretary general, as it has, for example, the uh, United Nations. So 
they need to form kind of an organization that can stand um, on its own feet and they and this organization represents uh, the countries uh, that form this organization right in the first place the integration process needs to bundle kind of the military uh, capacities of this of these countries not because they're going to actually use it but just to make a statement and say okay well because we need this organization a strong turkey council right now the first thing that we are going to integrate are our, our militaries so the countries actually say that they are committed to the cause of the turkey council and they are also ready to, to dispatch their military personnel if needed once we have this uyghur uyghur genocide off the table the economic and social integration of um, or the, the social aspects and economic aspects of the integration process can come together within those countries and then they can grow but just for the time being in order to resolve the whole issue right now is the first thing that they need to do after building an authoritative structure is to integrate also the militaries into the council once this is happening i mean this is also a statement a good statement uh, towards china that the council is ready to defend one of their uh, ethnic groups or, or minorities and that they are basically coming together to protect the uyghurs which are also turkic in order to complement it it i think they can also get a lot of help from the european union the united states and maybe russia because uh, the russians have a very have a great interest in um, protecting the uyghurs or they can benefit they don't have an outright interest but they can benefit from it because they have a great turkic minority um, in russia as well and they would like to see that the russians are practically defending the rights of the uyghurs there we're talking about for example the dagestani chechen and tatar people among others uh, who are very uh, present in russia and they would love to see the government of russia to also side with the turkic people and protect um, or, or fight for the protection of, of the uyghur people so the turkic council would also get diplomatic help and i mean solely diplomatic help from uh, the russians they would get uh, from a normative perspective diplomatic help from the europeans and from the americans but the turkic council needs to lead the way because the europeans would not go to russia and ask them to do it because the russians would say this is not our business but once the turkic people go to russia and say let's do this they would have to say yes otherwise the turkic council can threaten them by saying okay well then we are going to make a publicity campaign within your country saying that you didn't help the muslim turkic people in china so everything has to move over the Turkey Council and in the first place this needs to get stronger in order to uh, make those statements. And by doing so China doesn't have, it doesn't stand a chance practically because the pressure is so much there that they need to, they need to give in. They cannot sanction um, all the countries, right? So <laughs> if they're going to do it, I mean more than half of their exports would be gone so they are not exporting anything nothing comes in and then the chinese people are putting pressure on their government because uh, the economy in china is going to decline right so once the external pressure on china gets large enough they would need to stop the genocide and the only way i see this is effectively possible is that the turkic people in the first place come together i mean we have some very powerful actors uh, turkey is uh, probably the most powerful actor among those countries uh, that i've uh, mentioned before just by its uh, economy in comparison to the uh, to the other uh, countries but kazakhstan as well and i think if they kind i mean there is no reason why they shouldn't why they shouldn't do it right these are Turkic people. They have the same origin. Um, they come from the same place, same ancestors. It's the biggest ethnic group in the world, I think. Uh, yeah, it probably it probably is. And they should come together. They, the, the countries need to integrate over the Turkic Council. And it needs to happen fast, right? I mean, the, the languages are even so close together that they won't even have any problems uh, in communication, right? 
Unfortunately, individually seen, the countries feared the, China, uh, the Chinese presence and the Chinese uh, retaliation acts against the, the individual countries. Um, and rightfully so. I mean, China would crush each and every country of, the, of those uh, Turkic countries um, on an individual basis. And they would say, okay, guys, you want to you wanna fight? We fight. And uh, then the economic war is on. Or even the financial war is on. Uh, you can never know. But if they come together, they can be strong enough. And I'm really, um, I really believe uh, that over the Turkey Council, we can really stop the genocide. Because then, as I said, they can utilize the Russian presence, the European presence. They can utilize the American presence. I mean, these are the countries that are most interested in a more, yeah, how can I say, in a more humanitarian Chinese uh, policy structure and by doing so we have a realistic chance to kind of stop uh, the horrific things that Uyghur people need to endure on a daily basis for years now and this is my uh, take on this what I think would be most effective but realistically um if I have to give a realistic account on what is going to happen, I believe that, um, and I'm I don't even want to pronounce it, but I think the genocide is going to on is going to go on for quite some while. I think many more hundreds of thousands of people are going to die. Uh, many million millions of Uyghur people will have. Um, mental issues for the next couple of decades i think the uyghur people they will not have a very bright future to be honest um if we are going to talk about it in realistic terms and even if they are if they manage somehow to get away from the chinese influence and from the from the torture and all the horrific things that they have to endure the problem is are they going to be able to socially reproduce afterwards are they able to produce doctors lawyers scientists first and foremost are they going to be able to recollect them themselves and kind of rise again as as a population and i don't think that this is going to be possible because even if china would stop the genocide today they would not be uh decreasing their hold or their, their influence on the province uh, they will continue to um yeah with the surveillance they will continue to disadvantage uyghur people in china and because of that I think even if they get away from the physical uh, atrocities that they have to face there, it still remains to be resolved how they are going to develop as a society or civilization there. And this is what bothers me a lot, you know, um, all of it actually it bothers me a lot. I think about it a lot of times. It really... Yeah, it really gets to me actually. If you have to admit openly admit that this yeah that this that these people actually are not going to have a any progress over the next 50 to 100 years and openly admit that this is kind of a lost a lost people it really hurts and i don't want to say it but this is what realistically is most likely going to happen but on the other side, uh, this is why I'm doing this, um, because I want to give not only my assessment on what is realistically going to happen, but what effectively can be done and what would be most efficient to face with those issues. And as I said, just to summarize it, the Turkey Council needs to quickly integrate um, and build an administrative structure that is able to form meaningful uh, diplomacy policies and directions and strategies 
but they also need to integrate their militaries in the first place and then start uh, social and economic integration after they were able to kind of uh, ease the pressure on the Uyghurs in order for also in the future to protect those people. Uh, this is my policy proposal. Um, and yeah. This brings me also to the end of today's episode. Um, I mean, while I was talking, my mood gradually declined. Uh, I'm at a very bad place right now because when I think about it, um, it really gets me depressed. Uh, I, I don't want to bitch about it because um, I'm here, you know, all good talking about this stuff. But the Uyghur people, they actually endure it. They face all the atrocities, things that I'm not even able to think about. And uh, so, yeah, I just want to send my prayers out to those people. Um, I hope you do, you do too. And uh, I just want to raise aware. Um, I just want to raise awareness of this problem and um, how bad things have gotten there. And I hope that you also spread the word. Um, send this episode uh, out to your friends uh, share it uh, discuss it um, i'm curious about your comments and what you think is is uh, the best way to go about it uh, let's have a discussion here um, i'm very uh, i'm very curious what you have to say and uh, finally i hope that you enjoyed it that you could uh, that you had some some um, important takeaways from this episode and here next time on Acido Podcast. Bye, guys. Bye.